All right, kids are dismissed. They go to our uh, the Sunday school house. Boy, thank you for singing. Thank you for sharing the activity here this morning. Sarah, having all these kids with us up front, it's, it's, it's great. And I got to go out to camp this last Monday night, uh, Monday uh, afternoon, and then I came back and, uh, in the evening and listened to the gospel message on Monday night. But the, the kids were a little louder singing. 300 boys and girls singing, uh, filling up this gymnasium auditorium uh, with loud music and speakers and, and PowerPoint video screens going on both sides. I felt like I was at a high school young life meeting, you know, and uh, an activity camp that they might do, which I've never been involved in, but I, that's what I pictured. And it was uh, really full for these young people here out at camp this last week. I... I had to take my hearing aids off. I had to cover my ears, the high-pitched screaming noise. My granddaughter, Violet, came home from camp, and she sends, a, sends me a little note, and she's saying, I lost my voice. <laughs> I got a little horse from, from, you know, every... They were part of the yellow group, and there was a purple group and a green group. And uh, the yellow group, uh, I think, won some different things at different times. Uh, but a lot of it comes with uh, making a lot of noise out of camp. Ah, what a privilege it is to be a part a part of this assembly. I thank the Lord for all of you, your children, and uh, uh, your gifts in participating and being a part of this assembly. Uh, I, I I just am, am real blessed. Let me tell you about a recent article in the Washington Post that I read, that told about a 15-year-old girl who sent and received 6,473 cell phone text messages in a single month. She says about her constant communication with friends, quote, I would die without it, unquote. And she is not alone. Researchers say in the article, it said that 90% of people worldwide text at least once a day. And more than 350 billion text messages are sent each month. Now, to me, this ongoing digital conversation offers a remarkable illustration of what prayer could and should be like for Christians and for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul seemed to be constantly in an attitude of prayer, and not only for activities and things around him and for his situation, but for others. He was in constant prayer. He says, we have not stopped praying for you, he writes to the Colossians. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere, he tells Ephesians. Never stop praying, he tells the Thessalonians. And like I said, last Monday I attended the Whitewater's beginning session right after lunch and went back to Camp Chautauqua and listened to the gospel being presented in the early evening for all the kids. And the text of the lesson the speaker gave was Ephesians 6, verse 13. Let me read that for you. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. 
That was an emphasis that he placed for the kids because it was clearly stated that Satan is trying to devour these kids. And if they don't know Jesus as their own Savior, the truth was presented that Satan already owns them. The gospel of our Lord and Savior was presented to 300 kids that day and every day this last week. And I had the privilege to witness the Holy Spirit move in the hearts of some of these young girls and young boys. Go forward and said, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. What a privilege. What a blessing. That's why you and your gifts to this assembly financially support and prayerfully support the teaching that goes on in camps all over the country. Phil has dedicated his summers being a camp speaker for children and presenting the gospel and watching young ones, your family members, come to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. What a privilege is ours to watch and to see these things happen. Thank you all for your prayers for camp, for the overall camp, for each camper, for the counselors, for the directors who keep all the events of the camp going. We saw some pictures earlier of all the activities that has to be planned and, and, and be involved in setting up and, and uh, making things go. But now that the camp is over, now is the time to continue to continue to pray to the Father for all these kids. I know that some children confessed and asked Jesus to be their Savior at camp. Folks, continue to pray for these little girls and these little boys and for their families as they come home and share their testimony of what it was like at camp and to perhaps express themselves to mom and dad, said, I confess my sins. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, Mom. Daddy, I'm a Christian. What a privilege to be a part of camp ministries. Well, let me ask, are you texting God? No, no, I'm sorry. What I want to say, are you praying to God regularly and throughout the day as much as we are texting Others, prayer is the mightiest force in the world. I'm, I'm learning yet that our part is to live in this hour, continuous inner conversations with God the Father. And if I practice that, I wouldn't find myself contemplating sinful thoughts or saying things I shouldn't be saying or doing the wrong that I shouldn't be doing. One of the most common sins among Christians is that of prayerlessness. No doubt this has been through throughout the centuries of Christianity. The lack of praying. And yet we are again and again not only exhorted but distinctively commanded to pray. We have quotes from Scripture that say men ought always to pray and not faint. Pray without ceasing. 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Ask in prayer, believing. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. My library, Harry Ironside, old brother and writer from years ago, I pull out. Harry Ironside says, Prayer is the life of the new man. One can no more have a happy, triumphant Christian experience who neglects this spiritual exercise than one can be well and strong physically who shuts himself up in a closed room to which the sun never penetrates and where pure air is unknown. The soul flourishes in an atmosphere of prayer. Let me take a moment and ask for the Lord's blessing on these thoughts shared here this morning. Father, I thank you that we can address thee in prayer because of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who lives to make intercessions on our behalf. You know, you know our hearts and you know our minds and you know our needs. But God, we thank you for the uh, wonderful creation you have placed us in and for this time in history that we can be here and that we can watch children sing songs and give praise to these still in this day and age. Father, we love you. And we ask for your blessing upon the thoughts that are shared from this Bible hour. We ask for your blessing on our Sunday school experience for our children. And thank you for the confession of their hearts. The confession of their souls reaching out and asking for Jesus coming into their lives as children. Bless this day And this time, as we open your word, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Back in 1936. What happened in 1936? If somebody could get me a little glass of water, I'm already dry. That'd be help. I appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. 1936, the Olympic Games were held in Berlin. And it was at these games that the Olympic flame was introduced as the primary symbol of the event. That's when that started, as the primary symbol. Since then, the torch relay carrying the flame has become an Olympic tradition. The flame, then, has always originated in Greece, which was the birthplace of the ancient Olympic Games, which began, folks, eight centuries before Christ was born. And to this day, the flame travels from Greece and makes its way to the host city. Every four years, the torch relay begins in Olympia, Greece, and the flame is carried and passed by hundreds, uh, even thousands of torchbearers. Thank you, Joe, for thousands of miles around the world. Thank you much. Uh, Not only around the world, but around the host country. It travels and exchanges in hand. When one touch torch lights another torch as they come together and they like they call that yeah, they call that a kiss. You know, the, the two torches come together, one to be lit and one to continue on, and one goes out. And that's the secret to moving the flame forward. 
Experts say that most of the torches will only burn for about 15 minutes. Most of them. That's why it's important for the torch bearers to don't lose, don't lose focus on what their objective is. And their objective is, their focus is to advance the flame. It's not their personal journey. It's to advance the flame. What I want us to see today is that this principle applies not only to advancing a flame by passing a torch, but it also applies to our homes, our families, and our future. Right now, we're seeing an entire generation Generations of children, folks, are being born into a world that is confused and unstable, a world that is committed to crushing God's design of the family. If you love Jesus, if you know Jesus, if you follow Jesus, then you can't just live your Christian life in solitude until your fire burns out. You've got to pass that torch on. You've got to pass that torch to the next generation. We're going to be turning in our Bibles to Proverbs 22. But before we do that, I want to tell you, the book of Proverbs was largely written by Solomon. So let's briefly go look at a little bit of history in 1 Kings. All right, instead of Proverbs, knowing I'm coming back to chapter 22, but I want you to turn with me in your Bible, and I want to tell you a little bit about Solomon, who wrote many of the Proverbs. I want you to learn about this man in 1 Kings chapter 4. First Kings chapter 4, verse 1. It'll say very right in front of us. Now, King Solomon was king over all Israel. All right. Scriptures say that this man was very, very wise. Look at verse 31 of this chapter. Excuse me. Verse 31. It says, for he was wiser than all men, yet Solomon's wisdom was not a wisdom built simply on practical and daily living, though that too. His wisdom was given to him specifically by God. In answer to God's offer in a dream, Solomon asked not for money, not for power, not for long life or peace. Look at chapter 3 of 1 Kings. And I'll start with verse 9. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? He asked for an understanding heart so that he could discern between good and evil. So that in turn, he could lead God's people well, in verse 12 of chapter 3, God in turn promised to give Solomon a wise and understanding heart. Look what it says. 
I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. And as a result of God's promise to Solomon, this is given to us in verse 28 of this chapter, the last verse of this chapter. When all Israel heard of the judgment judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. The wisdom of God was in him. Now I want you to turn to one of the Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6, that by, through the wisdom of God, he shared these thoughts. Again, we are told in, in Kings that Solomon had over 3,000 Proverbs and many songs. But specifically this morning, I want to share and talk about verse 6 of 22 of Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. What a seemingly simple but overwhelming complicated verse. It's one of the most quoted and often misquoted verses in the Bible. Proverbs 22.6 is not human wisdom, as you may find in the writings of parents, experienced parents or, or experienced teachers. This proverb is instead a word of God, a word from God given to the parents of Israel through the mouth and mind of Solomon, their wise king and teacher. You know, people often use this verse as a guarantee that if you raise your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as Ephesians instructs us, they'll always stay on the right path. That interpretation can be problematic, particularly for the good parents I know, who have seen their older children stray from the faith. We all know that we, we can try our best, and sometimes the results are different than we would have hoped for. God has given us free will to make our own choices, after all. Well, another view of Proverbs 22.6 is that the writer was saying the exact opposite. Uh, it's not a guarantee for parents, but rather a warning. Harry Ironside again writes, a tree follows the bent of its early years. And so with our sons and daughters, if taught to love the world, to crave its fashions and frivolous ways in childhood, they are almost certain to live for the world when they come to mature years. The word train is used elsewhere in Scripture and it refers to other words like uh, initiate or dedicate made me think for an example that sometimes we have baby dedications here in the chapel or at, at many churches. We don't always do that. And it's for the parents who want to publicly dedicate their son or daughter to the Lord in the church. 
And this is the beginning of the infant's life. And, and the parents seek prayers for their child and for themselves, for the training and for the upbringing of this child for the Lord. Solomon tells his people that a youngster needs to, needs to be instructed right from the beginning so that a pattern of behavior will often lead to a set of patterns for the future. A child needs training to eat, sleep, talk, walk, and in ways of behavior to honor God and to honor their parents. They need training. Some say that this is not a promise. This verse is not a promise to the parents who raise their children properly, but a warning to those who allow their adolescence to grow up without guidance, who raise them to go their own way. Children left to their own way are not likely to change. They'll become adults who go their own way. The wrong way. Interesting. I found in Scripture here that Solomon, he later wrote in Proverbs 22, verse 15, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. He obviously recognized that children don't, they don't tend to make the wise choices on their own. They need guidance. They need parents who will train them. There's yet another view of, I've read that Proverbs 22.6 isn't as much about the moral or spiritual direction of the child, but rather his or her own gifts and talents. It's about parents helping their children discover their purpose and, and path in life. Parents in the unique role of helping children discover how God has equipped them and how they can use their gifts in a positive way as an, as an adult. Well, I'm no theologian and, or Bible scholar, so I'm not an expert in these matters of the things. But I am a parent and a grandparent who understands that we have great responsibilities as adults. And perhaps being a parent, we accept these responsibilities. Throughout Scripture, God is pretty clear about the responsibility He places in the hands of parents. None is more clear than in the Old Testament verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Would you turn and look at that with me for a second? Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We have instructions in here from God for parents to instruct children. Chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, I'll read out loud. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. We have a responsibility as parents to teach our children what matters to God. It doesn't mean forcing them into a certain set of beliefs or rituals. Rather, it means demonstrating a real faith. 
one that puts the focus on loving God and loving others. In my view, there's not a greater purpose we can have in life than reflecting God's image for our children to see and for our grandchildren to see. Our children are going to learn about the world around them and their role in it. They're going to learn. If they don't learn from us, they will learn from someone else. It's our responsibility to use our time with our kids wisely. Solomon, I believe, wants to tell the the people of his day that youngsters need to be instructed just like today in a pattern of behavior that is to stamp its life and habits for their future, to, to create a vision and a path for them to go on and walk with the Lord. From birth onward, the child has to become accustomed to a particular walk of life, has to have experience in that walk of life. And I believe every Christian parent has to guide their children to experience a godly walk of life. With being there is, is need for daily, constant, persistent, all-the-time effort to make the child experience their own walk with the Lord. Train up a child. Age is not the importance here. It's the inexperience. Another funny thing I read about Solomon, (laughs) at the age of 20, Solomon refers to himself as yet a child. That's in 1 Kings chapter 3, that we were just looking at, verse 7. But And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, refers to himself when, the be, when he became king at the age of 40 as a child. The point of the word is that both were young in the sense that both needed training, both needed guidance and instruction and to carry out the tasks that God has given them to do. Whether the child is two months, two years, or 22 years old, Solomon would have the people of Israel persist in getting them used to the way they need to act. You have an influence as a parent. And you know this, but so do others. Children are sponges. And kids seem to soak up everything, good and bad. They often mimic the mannerisms of both mom and dad. And they'll do and say the same things that we do from time to time. And you can certainly tell who your daughter or son has been hanging out with by the phrases they say and by the songs they sing. It's amazing what... One or two school bus rides will teach and influence our children. When writing to the Ephesians, Paul encouraged the church to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. That encourages me and reminds me of how I'm supposed to live and love. But it also reminds me that my children and my grandchildren are looking for me for an example. Our children often imitate us. They learn how to act by seeing how we act. They'll only know how to love by seeing how we love. And if they are imitating us and we are imitating God, then our child will grow up knowing what it means to follow Christ. I don't use this expression, but many do. And I'm not pinpointing anybody. Oh, God! As you get a present or as you see something different or something happens, the four-year-olds, some of their first expressions sometimes are, Oh, God! You know, in a wrong way. Frivolous. With thought as we think of our children speaking to God and, and not reverent manners. But they do imitate us. How many of you can catch yourself saying exactly what Dad told you? <laughs> saying the same thing your dad, your father told you. Or your mother would tell you something, and you remember it at 60 years old, and you say, oh, I'm sounding just like my mom. The imitation means a lot. Are we letting them see what needs to be imitated so that they as a child can grow up and walk with God themselves? It's important. Hmm. I've often thought about, about it this way, that uh, the moon reflects light from the sun. We know that. It's not a big mirror in the sky reflecting the sun exactly, uh, or else light from the moon and sun would, uh, would be the same. But when the moon is full, it looks quite Quite bright, but even at its brightest, it's only a small percentage of what the sun gives out. That was the intention. The moon is to be the lesser light. And just as the moon reflects the sun, I, as a Christian, I should reflect God's Son, the Lord Jesus. Phil made mention in this verse here this morning in Psalm chapter 90. It had the exact same thought in that verse that you read this morning at our breaking of bread time. Of re- the, re- the effects of the sun and the moon. But we are not perfect like the Lord Jesus. We're not to be as the, like the sun, but we are to be as like the moon and reflect and on this side of glory be a reflection for God's Son and to love the Lord Jesus and to be examples. As we grow closer to Him, there should be some family resemblance between us and our Father. The things I say and do be characteristics of Him. And here's why that's important. If I truly reflect Him and shine and shine His glory, others, others, including my children, including my grandchildren, will come to an understanding of who God is. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine 
before men, that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, let me ask, do you text with your children? I mean, uh, I mean, sorry. Do you pray with your children? Do they see you communicating with the Father above? Do they, do they hear you pray? Not just for them at bedtime. Not just at the mealtime. Do they hear you communicate with the Father above? You will have results, either good or bad, as a parent. Whether you interpret Proverbs 22.6 as a promise for raising your kids in the Lord, or a warning about not doing so. So there's one thing we know. What you do as a parent matters and it leads to results. Lord willing, our children are going to become adults, <laughs> whether we want them to grow up or not. So I can remind you now of what it says in Ephesians 6. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Train up a child in the way, in the way he should go. When you're learning to ride a bike, do you remember? Training wheels are usually critical. But the training wheels were never the point. Uh, riding, riding the bike was. In our relationship to our parents, the, the goal isn't mere obedience. It's, it's healthy and, and honoring family relationships. And more importantly, a trajectory towards God. How do we respond to God? The years your children are in your homes are critical. And these are formative years when they are developing their entire worldview. Most adult Christians become Christians before turning 18. I was 19. Actually, many follow Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. Really formative years. On the other hand, we've, we've all seen the the troubling numbers of young people who are much more likely to lack any Christianity at all. Belief systems tend to form early, and while they can and do sometimes change, it's critical for parents to have an active role in a child's spiritual development early on. All right? Proverbs 22, verse 6, mentions a duty given to parents. As a duty, train up your child in the way he should go. It mentions also a promise, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here is recorded in a concise and understanding manner both what God demands of the parents of his children and what God has promised to the parents of his children. Solomon tells us what the results of such training will be. 
those words when he is old. This is the opposite of the word child. Knowing exactly what is to be understood by this phrase, I don't know. It's hard to determine. Are we to think 60 is old or 80? Or just older than a youngster? I believe it means that we are to think of the twilight years of our lives. Whenever that may be. You determine that. Then if a person is accustomed since childhood to the way of the Lord, he or she will not turn away from the Lord's way in their senior years. Instead, that older person will remember the instruction of their youth and will live according to what has been uh, drummed uh, into him or her throughout their formative years. It's our responsibility as parents and grandparents to continue to be an example. And to you single folks, to continue to be an example and to encourage our children in the way of the Lord. The duty and the promise Solomon lays before us in the proverb is clear. Parents are to influence their children to become accustomed to the way of God as given here in our Bibles. And when the child is old, he or she will not turn from that way. After studying this verse, I still have questions. And maybe you do too. Our experience tells us that so many kids do not cherish the training they've received in their youth. They do not, in old age, walk in the way that they've been taught. Are we to conclude that some of us as parents have done a worse job than others? And that's why some of our children have turned from following God? Well, God made it our business to teach and train up our children. And we try to do so here in the church as a family as well. So we parents and grandparents and church members need to be faithful in our own lives and to speak the things of God to our children regularly. When's, when's the last time you've asked one of our kids coming from Sunday school or going in the fellowship room to have a cup of juice or, and some crackers and maybe put your arm near or said hello to a child, let alone say hello. When's the last time you did that? (laughs) Let alone maybe ask them if they were a Christian. Do you know what it is to be a Christian? It takes a family to encourage these things. I remember a missionary coming to our chapel in the back of the room. His son was walking by and ready to go sit. And I said, hello, I'm so-and-so. And he told me his name. And I said, young man, are you a Christian? He's carrying his Bible and he's ready to go sit down by himself. He looked at me in his pause and said, nobody's ever asked me that. You just are crushed. Just yesterday, I read an article. Yesterday, I read an article. Actually, it was... (laughs) on my cell phone through, through something I got through a Christian MetaShare. 
I read an article about millennial parents who are far more likely than previous generations to raise their children without a focus on religion. This isn't surprising to us because most of us already know that the trend is a march away from Christianity. A march away from Christianity in this world. The article said that the millennial parents do not believe there is any benefit to an organized religious environment or whether their kids need any spiritual influence at all. That's what the world says. It's not likely that Proverbs 22.6 is a guarantee of success for committed, Christ-following parents, grandparents, or individuals as we share our lives with our children around us. But it is important to recognize the truth, the, the truth of which the verse contains. God has given us an incredible responsibility by placing children in our care. And the family is a primary mechanism that God uses to grow His kingdom and to grow His people. And as a result, it's our duty to teach our children about God. We are in an influential position. And what we do today will matter in our kids' lives tomorrow. I don't know if you've ever had it. Phil, you've been around kids all your life teaching fifth graders science. And how many times I've been in a restaurant with you having breakfast and all of a sudden a little kid comes around. Hi, Mr. Mikeley. <laughs> you know, you had me three, four years ago in school, you know, and Phil remembers. Okay, yeah, good. I was a coach for a little league baseball team when Ben was like eight years old, you know, and I'm teaching him out of the t-ball and being a coach has fathers pitch and, and then has kids pitch themselves. I've, I've got kids around Fairfield walking up to me and their parents sometimes say, Hi, coach, you remember me? I have no idea who they are. <laughs> I have no idea. Now this kid is uh, uh, 15, 16, now 35. <laughs> you know. But what I'm saying is that we don't know what kind of an influence we have, but the kids remember things. And folks, we are to train up a child in the ways to go. And when he's old, even when he's old, he or she will not depart from it. Continue to be an example. To continue to be a, a, a reflection of God Himself in this dark world. Because they are like sponges and this world is going to suck them up. Continue to be a good example. Thank you for bringing your children to church. Our church is an extension of your family and your children. See you parents placing an emphasis on going to church. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have family members that don't place any emphasis on going to church. Thank you. Thank you for bringing your kids to church and being an example. You are loved and... Uh, I feel loved by you for coming. You're placing an emphasis on spiritual concerns not only in your own lives, but in the lives of those youngsters. Please, all of you, young and old, married or not married, with children or without children, grandchildren or not, continue to pray 
pray for all these kids among us. Pray for Shiju and Annie upstairs with the little tiny ones walking and learning to talk. (laughs) Pray for Julie and Sarah teaching the young ones at Sunday school house next door. Pray for Patty and Jack teaching the older boys and girls every other week when that meeting happens. Pray for these children who just came back from a camp experience where for five days they had no cell phones, no no texting, uh, a time of sweet fellowship among other Christians and boys and girls. And yeah, many of them were not saved. And yes, many of them accepted the Lord Jesus as Savior. Pray for these children. Continue to be an example. And uh, continue to pray for one another as we uh, grow in the Lord here in the assembly and in God's church. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share from your word here this morning and, and receiving your wisdom through this man, Solomon, who writes these verses for us to contemplate and to, and to, and to live and to try to serve you and to love you and to reflect you in this world. Thank you for allowing us to be a peculiar people called out in the midst of the darkness of this world and to be a light for you. So, Lord, we pray for the gospel to continue to go forth. We pray for the children that have been exposed to the gospel on a regular basis all last week at a camp experience and for all the camps across this country and all across the world where they're learning about the focus is on you, the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving grace. We pray for your church to continue to grow, starting with the hearts of our young children here in our church, and that they might continue to grow and be a light for you as a testimony and a living that experience throughout their adult lives. So we pray for one another, thanking you for this opportunity to be together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.